guys I discovered the other day, I just want to share with you. If you've got a, a solution, if you're dealing with any type of self-esteem issues, if you've got low self-esteem, here's what you do. You get your bumper sticker, put it on your car. It says, honk if you think I'm sexy. <laughs> and then you just sit at the green light until you feel better about yourself. There you go. That's three. It doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with my message today. It's just some good news I wanted to pass along. All right. Good morning. Hey, guys, I'm going to throw out some names. And I believe there's a couple of things that these people have in common. Some of these names you may recognize, some of them you may not. But I want to throw out some names, and then I want to talk about what they have in common. The names are Rick Warren, John Maxwell, Dave Ramsey, Zig Ziglar, Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, and St. Francis Vesissi. Now, if you're familiar with those names, one of the things you know that they have in common is that they love Jesus. The second thing that they have in common is that they are all very passionate people. And they have accomplished what they have accomplished in life because of that passion. Rick Warren had and still has a passion to reach people that other churches were not reaching. He started a church out in Saddleback Valley, California, back in 1980 with the express purpose of reaching people that other churches were not reaching. He did things different in order to make that happen. And he and his wife had no money. They were fresh out of college, and they were starting this new church. They didn't have any members. They went door to door talking to people. Matter of fact, they had this, this one point where they, they had $38 to their name. And they were needing to get some, uh, some stuff, some equipment for their children's room. Because they had done a survey in the Saddleback Valley area, and they had asked the question on the survey, if you were looking for a church, what would be one of the things you would look for? And the number one answer was, we would look for a place that we felt like was safe and clean for our kids. And so they thought if they're going to start this church, they need to have a place that's safe and clean for their kids. So they started looking for this equipment, some, some small playground equipment, some safety gates and stuff like that. And, and they didn't have any money. And they finally found this place at a yard sale where they had some children's equipment. They had $38 to their name. You know how much all this equipment cost at this yard sale? $38. $38. They took their last $38 when they spent the money on this stuff, and they brought it. That doesn't make any sense. There's no practicality to that. It is purely driven by their passion. John Maxwell, he is considered by many, and I am one of those, to be the number one expert in leadership alive today. His leadership uh, information is just out of this world. It started in the church, he grew it to Christian organizations, and then on to other business organizations. 
He's written, I don't know how many books. He writes like two books a year. He's done that for like 20 years, so do the math. He's got tons of books. He continues to study, even though he's considered the number one expert. He still sits down with other leaders and learns from them. He reads books by other leaders. He goes to conferences on leadership. Why? Because he has a passion for leadership. Dave Ramsey, I don't know if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey or not. Um, Dave Ramsey has a passion to get people out of debt. I, and when I mean a passion, it's not just something that he likes to do. It's not just something that he thought he would make a career at. I mean, he has a passion. And this guy is nuts for trying to help people get out of debt. He hates, hates debt. And he's had a lot of influence on my wife and I. Matter of fact, so much so that since we've been married, the only debt we've ever had is a house that we own for about 14 years. The only debt we've ever had. Okay? And listen, we didn't always make the best money during those years either. Matter of fact, for eight of those years, we ran a ministry where we were paid purely through donations. We had a couple of years where we made less than 15000 Okay? And so we completely debunked the myth that if you're poor, you have to go into debt. We debunked it because we refused. And a lot of that had to do with the influence of Dave Ramsey because of his passion to get people out of debt and to keep people out of debt. And it's, it was driven by his passion. Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar has shaped my thinking as much as anybody. When I was at college, I was introduced to the writings of John Maxwell, whom I, whom I mentioned earlier. And I noticed that John Maxwell quoted Zig Ziglar a lot. And every time he quoted him, I was like, man, that's, that's really cool. That's, that's good stuff. And so finally, I decided, hey, I'm going to get something by Zig Ziglar. This was in 1997. It was a tape. It takes back then. And the name of the tape was called How to Be a Winner. And I got that tape and I listened to that. I wore that tape out. I have bought that tape twice since then because I just wore it out and stopped playing. Since then, over the past, you know, 25 plus years, I am, I've probably spent $5,000 or more on Zig Ziglar stuff. It's, it's just, it, it's amazing. That tape was the first time that I heard somebody say that failure is an event. It is not a person. That changed my life. It's very simple. No big academic words in that. Failure is an event. It is not a person. It helps me to realize that even though I had failure in my life, I was not a failure. Listen, you may have failure in your life. Matter of fact, I know you do, because we all do. But that does not make you a failure. Failure is an event. It is not a person. It was the first time that I heard somebody say that I was born to win. But in order to legitimately expect to win, you must prepare to win and plan to win. Oh, wow, this, this is life-changing stuff right here. 
And why was I able to be influenced in such a positive way by Zig Ziglar? Because he had a passion to share this information with other people. He had a passion to teach people how to set and achieve goals. He had a passion to motivate people to move forward in their lives and to reach their potential. It was because of that passion. Billy Graham. We're probably all familiar with Billy Graham. And in the, in the modern day era, there's probably nobody that's led more people to Jesus than Billy Graham did. Why did he do that? Why did he travel all over the world? Why did he spend money to do these, these big conventions and these big revivals and, and to put them on TV? Why did, why did he do all this? Because he had passion to reach lost people with the gospel. Mother Teresa, for over 40 years, devoted her life to the poor and the oppressed in Calcutta, India. She gave up so much in order to do so much. Why? Because she had a passion for the poor and the oppressed in Calcutta, India. St. Francis of Assisi had similar passion. He stripped himself of all his, his materials, all his, his things that he owned, and took a vow of poverty to specifically minister among the poor and the oppressed and the afflicted. It drove his life. And he made such a difference in people's lives because of it. Why? Because he had this passion. Because he had this passion. Now, if you get deeper into any of these people's lives, and you could look at others, you could look at many other examples, you could see that they ran into brick walls, they would fall flat on their face, they would mess up, they'd make bad decisions, but it never stopped them from following this God-given passion that they had. They continued to move forward. We're going through this series called Ministry 101, and we're looking at our shape. And that, that, that word shape stands for spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences. We talked about spiritual gifts last week. We're talking about our heart this week. Our passion is what we're talking about. In Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it said, and Jesus speaking here, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Loving with everything that you are and everything that you have. But the first thing mentioned there is what? Loving with your heart. Loving with your passion. Listen, this God thing is not a religion. It's not. It's a relationship with God. And it's a passionate thing. It's not about rules and regulations and rituals. The three R's. It's about being passionately in love with God. And so our passion begins there. And when it begins there, I believe that God fills us with passions, godly passions, in other areas. Christian counselor Larry Crabb, he passed away earlier this year, but he's got this quote that's always stuck with me. He said, the core problem is not that we're too passionate about bad things but it's that we're not passionate enough about good things. Because we just tend to go through this life from day to day. We get up, 
we eat breakfast, we get dressed, we, we go to school, or we go to work, or we go do whatever it is we do. And at the end of the day, we come home, and maybe we eat dinner, and we go back to bed, and we get up, and we do it all over again. And, and we just don't have this sense of passion that's driving us in our lives. And so I would agree with Larry Crabb. It's not so much that we're too passionate about bad things. Most of us, if not all of us here, would probably not have bad passions. We're not out there hating people. We're not out there doing bad things. It's just that oftentimes in the church, we're not passionate enough about the good things. And I believe that God wants us to be passionate people. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19. It says, as the water reflects the face, so the heart reflects the person. You want to know what a person is all about? See what they're passionate about. Where is their heart? What drives them? That's where you come to find out what a, people, what a person really is and who they really are. Tom Peterson, in his book, Living the Life You Were Meant to Live, has, to, has this to say. He said, heart is where you are centered, where you desire to serve, the altar upon which you wish to place your talents. Giftedness is what you are. Heart is where you will most likely apply what you are. Heart refers to empathy, attraction, or draw towards a group of people, a field of expertise, or a particular type of service. Evaluating your heart helps you determine where you might best use gifts, where you wish to serve, and whom you wish to serve. See that, that heart is the core of our being, of who we are and what we do. The unfortunate thing is through the years, we've had things that just kind of beat us down. And it makes that passion level just get lower and lower. I hope that something happens today <laughs> that will re-spark that passion. You know, as we go through this series, this five-week series, as we look at each one of those areas, spiritual gifts, our heart, our abilities, our personality, and our experiences, and each week, we're going to have something that you can take with you. It's back there on the table right now. We had this thing for spiritual gifts last week. This week, we've got a, a piece of paper back there for you to work through during the week. Okay? It's not long. It's not extensive. It's much shorter than what last week's was with the, with the spiritual gifts uh, survey. But it's just an exercise that you can go through this week that will help you either discover or maybe even reignite the passion within you. So I would encourage you to take that as you leave. We're going to be covering some of that information in the message. But in order to, to have an in-depth answer to some of these questions, you're going to want to take more time than what we have here this morning to dig deep into that. So we're going to look at a few questions that we can ask ourselves that will help us either discover or reawaken the passions that, that God has put in us. And the first question is, is what drives you? What drives you? What gets you up in the morning? What keeps you up late at night? 
Because you've got such a passion for that particular thing. And you've got to ask yourself this question. What motivates me to take action? What is it that just gets me going, keeps me going, and helps me to go even further than I thought I could? What drives you? You know, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, and we're going to be looking at this verse quite a bit um, in this message. But Jesus is speaking here, and he says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know, probably one of the best ways that we can understand what our passion is, what do we love talking about the most? What can you just talk about for hours? What is it that when somebody else is talking that you've got to join the conversation? What is it that when you see it on TV, either in a show or on the news or something, and you're like, Oh, man, i got to talk to somebody. What do you post about the most on social media? What are those things that you just have to talk about that may be a clue as to what you're passionate about? And so just answer that question. What drives you? The second question we can ask ourselves, what, who do you care about? Who do you care about? Now, I know most of us, if not all of us, would immediately think, well, my family, my spouse, my kids, my grandkids. And, and I hope that's true. I hope that is the, you know, the immediate answer that comes to your, to your mind and to your heart when I ask that question. But here's what I would encourage you to do, is to continue to dig into that. Okay, after then, after my spouse and my kids and my grandkids and maybe other extended family, who do I care about? Who do I have a heart for? Again, Matthew 12, 34, right the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What groups of people do you talk about the most? Is it children? Is it the elderly? Is it couples? Is it singles? Is it people that are dealing with homelessness? Is it people that are, that are sick and need taken care of? What groups of people do you care about the most? Dwight L. Moody, who was a very effective evangelist, kind of like Billy Graham, when he would speak, just multitudes would come to Jesus. He was not an overly educated man like most clergy of his time. And he was at, at a convention in London, England one time with a bunch of other uh, ministers. And they were all up in his room one night. Not all of them, but a bunch of them were up in his room one night. And they were just kind of kind of talking. And they were all wondering how this uneducated American was so effective in what he did. And so he asked, they asked him, this is how... How do you bring so many people to Jesus? And Dwight Moody stood up and he walked over to his window of his room and he looked out into the city and he looked at the other people in his room and he says, what do you see when you look out there? And they looked out there and he says, well, we see a whole lot of people. We see everybody's in a hurry. We see people that that are ignoring God. We, we see people that are, that are they're having fun, they're loud. And after everybody spoke, 
White Moody was looking out the window and tears began to come down his face. And one of the other ministers says, Mr. Moody, what do you see when you look out the window? And he said, I see a multitude of people who are going to hell if they don't find Jesus. You want to know why Dwight L. Moody was so effective in his evangelism? Not because of his education. Not just because of his skill set. Not any of this other stuff. He had a passion to reach people who did not know Jesus with Jesus. He had a passion. It wasn't just something he did. It wasn't just something he talked about. It wasn't just something that he, he enjoyed doing. He had a passion for it. And that's why he was so effective. Who do you care about? What group of people do you care about? And so ask yourself that question. What group of people can I most influence for God? Third question. What needs will I meet? What needs will I meet? Again, I told you you're going to hear this verse a lot today, okay? Matthew 12, 34. Right the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are those needs that you talk about the most? When you hear about needs on TV, when you hear about needs in the, in the community, when you hear about needs from other people online, or you read it in the paper, and you're like, man, somebody ought to do something about that. Maybe that person is you. If you feel so strongly about it. What needs do you feel like God is, is leading you to meet? And maybe you're already meeting. Is it a physical need? Do you, I know we have people in the medical field here that, that, that minister. And that's what it is. We don't call it that in the secular world. But that's what it is. You're ministering to people. That need ministering to because of their ailments and because of their sicknesses. Is it, is it emotional? Maybe, maybe you got a call to be a counselor. Maybe you got a call to be a psychologist. Or maybe you just got a call to be a friend to the friendless. And you don't need a degree for that. All you need is passion. Passion for people. Maybe it's a mental or intellectual need that you want to meet. Maybe you're a, maybe you're a teacher. And you, do, you just have that passion to be able to, to teach people, help them learn new things, to help them step steps that they wouldn't step without you because you're teaching them how to take those steps, do things they wouldn't have done before, reach a potential they would not have reached without you. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's spiritual means you like meeting. Maybe you like praying with people. Maybe you like, maybe you like preaching. Maybe you like teaching in the essence of, of teaching Bible studies and stuff like that. Or maybe you just you just like praying with people. So much so that you have a, you have a passion for it. And you talk about these things all the time. I encourage you to ask yourself this question. What are, what are two needs that I love meeting 
And you can go more if you want to, but at least two. What are two needs that I just love meeting in other people's lives? And meet those needs. Fourth question. What cause will I conquer? You know, there are causes all over the world. There's a cause, there's a cause to, to, to bring peace. There's a cause to end homelessness. There's a cause uh, to end hunger. To, there's a cause to take care of the environment. There's all kinds of causes out there. And listen, we can't take care of all of them. You can't look at all of them. And you may have some kind of desire for all of them and say, man, I wish we could make a difference. But what are those one, those the ones, the few, that really tug at your heart and you talk about all the time, Matthew 12, 34, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is it that you just got to talk about? And you've got those things, right? I've got those things. There are some things I just love talking about. Now, as an introvert, and I know some of you don't realize I'm an introvert, but I am. I don't come across that way up here, but I am an introvert. And sometimes small talk is very awkward with me. Okay? Especially if I'm talking to another introvert. There's these long pauses in the conversation. I'm thinking, okay, what do I say next? And I'm sure the other person's going, okay, what do I say next? And we're both just sitting there. But now, if you want to talk about how to best reach your potential in God, your God-given potential, I could talk about that for eight hours without a pause. Because I'm passionate about that. You want to talk about how the church can reach its God-given potential as a whole? I could talk for eight hours about that. And never pause. Because I'm passionate about that stuff. That's what I like talking about. That's who I like to help. That's the cause that I have in front of me. That's my passion. Now listen, you can help in other areas that may not necessarily be your, your passion, maybe something you enjoy that you like and you could be above, but the majority of your time needs to be your passion. That thing that, that gets you up early and keeps you up late because you want to make such a difference. What are those causes and issues that make my heart race? Because I want to do something about it. The last question that I encourage you to ask is what dream will I fulfill? What dream will I fulfill? What picture is it that I want to paint connected with the cause that I want to conquer and the needs I want to meet and the people I want to help and the very thing that drives me? What is that dream? And work toward creating that dream, that God-given dream that God has put in you. I'll tell you, a great book to read is called The Dream Giver. It's an excellent book. The first part of it is a story. The second part of it is kind of a step-by-step -step plan. But the story is about a little boy named Ordinary who lives in the land of familiar. You ever been there? Just an ordinary life in a familiar place doing the same thing every day. And he gets, he gets this dream from God. Yes, God is the dream giver in this book. 
And he begins talking with other people about this dream, and they're like, oh, no, <laughs> you can't do that. You belong here in the land of familiar. You can't, you can't go out beyond the border. It's dangerous out there. You know what? It is dangerous out there. <laughs> when you follow your passion, it can get dangerous sometimes. Some people get killed for it, okay? But they were so passionate about it that it didn't matter. They had to do it anyway. Because it was more important to them than being able to, to extend their life a few more years. The difference that they felt like God could make in their life was more important than just living a long life. And isn't it funny that when kids are little, we're always telling them the dream. Oh, dream. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. But as they get older, they get a high school, college age, it's like, no, let's be practical. God save us from practical people, okay? Because very few practical people change the world. When Rick and Kay Warren were starting that church and they used their last $38 to buy that children's equipment, that was not very practical. But it was passion. When Mother Teresa devoted her life for over 40 years to a life of poverty so that she could live with and minister to the poor and the oppressed in Calcutta, India, there's nothing practical about that, folks. But it was passion. And people thought they were crazy. Even Jesus' family thought he was crazy. Okay? Why? Because of his passion for doing what God had called him to do. And here, here's my guarantee to you. If you live out your passion, somebody's going to think you're crazy. If nobody's calling you crazy, you need to evaluate your life. Okay? How's that for good news today as you be out of here? If you're living a passionate life, people are going to look at you and go, you're nuts, man. You're, you're crazy. <laughs> And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, some of the people that call you crazy will eventually be changed because of your passion. Because of your God-given passion. So if somebody calls you crazy, just wear it as a badge of honor. Okay? We've always taught our kids growing up, being weird is a good thing. Okay? Because the alternative is normal. Normal states. Be weird. Have that passion, that godly passion that drives you to fulfill that dream. And again, life has a tendency to bury that. We hit brick walls. We have people telling us to be practical. We, we mess up. We fall down. And it's just easy to bury those dreams and just go on and live this, this ordinary, mundane life. And the whole time God is calling you. He's calling you to live out that passion, to live out that dream. So I encourage you to ask yourself this question. What are those God-given dreams that I can identify that have been buried by life? Pull those back out. You know, there's a word that's closely related to passion. It's, it's one of my favorite words. 
Anybody know what that word is? Enthusiasm. There you go. That's my word, man. That's my word. And most of you know that, that the word enthusiasm originally meant God in you. It comes from two Greek words. E-N meaning in, T-H-U-S, form of the word theos, which is the Greek word for God. It meant God in you or God inspired. I kind of developed my own definition of this word, and it's this. Enthusiasm is a God-inspired fire united deep within your soul that drives you to never settle, to live with passion, and to turn the world upside down. And if you live that way, people will call you crazy. Right? Because it's just not normal. It's not where you're supposed to act. You're supposed to go to school so you can get a job. And get a job so you can make money. Make money so you can buy a bunch of stuff you don't want. To impress people you don't even like. <laughs> and then you can retire and enjoy the good life for the few years you have left at the end. If you ask me, that's crazy. That's crazy. But God has got so much more for us. Living out that enthusiasm. You know, there's a word that's a, an antonym to enthusiasm, it's the word mundane. And enthusiasm has this spiritual connotation, as I've already shared with you. Mundane also has spiritual connotation. Typically, when we think of the definition of mundane, we think ordinary or normal or you know just day-to-day -day type stuff. That's that's the mundane. But there's another definition, and you can you can check your dictionary. Check me on this. There's another definition for the word mundane, and it's this: earthly or worldly, as in contrast. To the heavenly. Man, isn't that something? I don't know if you've read your Bibles much recently, but there are plenty of places in there where it tells us to not be worldly. <laughs> Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. <laughs> Trade in the mundane for the enthusiasm. Now, I've kind of developed my own word out of this word mundane, and it's those things that kind of try to rob our enthusiasm and steal our enthusiasm and kind of kind of keep it down where we don't live it out. And it's uh, it's the word mundanes. Okay? The mundanes. I think Tammy's got to grab it. The mundanes are those things and people that just kind of squash the enthusiasm in our lives. They're there to, to still kill and destroy all of that. And it can be people that that's putting us down or just telling us to, to be practical. People don't live that way. Maybe they're just calling us crazy. Or it may be, and he, these are the tougher ones, because some of these mundanes are external. People and situations around us that kind of kind of try to rob that enthusiasm. But I tell you, the ones we really need to battle the most are the internal mundanes. Those things inside of us, when we start saying to ourselves, all right, Tommy, you got to be practical here. Now, let me just say, I am not completely against being practical. If practical is a strategic way to move you forward in fulfilling your God-given passion and dream, if that's the way that the practicality is being used, that's great. When being practical limits us, from following our God-given passion and dream, then it becomes a problem. 
And so you've got to evaluate what you're, what you're doing and where you're going. And you've got to look at those internal mundanians and say, all right, I'm ready to get rid of you now. I'm ready to overcome you because I'm ready to live out this enthusiasm. I'm ready to live out this dream. I'm ready to live out this passion. I'm ready to allow God to lead my heart where he wants it to go. You know something that was said about Dwight Moody and some of the other revival speakers, especially in the Great Awakening areas, there was something that was, that was said about them, and it was this. They would set themselves on fire, and people would come to watch them burn. Now, we're not talking a little fire here. We're talking about their passion. They were so passionate that people would come to watch them. Even their enemies would come just to see what was going on. Nobody wants to know about a mundane life. But when you're passionate, even when people disagree with you, you draw their attention. And like I said before, sometimes that's the biggest difference you make in people's lives are the ones that are opposing you in the beginning. Continue to move forward. Continue to follow that God-given passion that God has put in your heart. I encourage you to take those sheets home with you today and work through that process. Dig deep into the answers to these questions. Don't just put a sentence or two and go, okay, I got it. Put a sentence or two, walk away, do something else, come back to it the next day or later that day or later in the week and continue to dig deeper in answering these questions. And it will help you discover, reawaken, and reignite the passion that God has put in you. It's all about your heart and what God wants to do with your heart. Look at this verse in Proverbs 4, 23. Above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being a passionate God, and God, we thank you for filling us with passion for you and your word and your service. God, I pray that you help us to keep all those things out that try to damper that and, and, and to stuff it down. God, help us to live that out. Help us to use this week to reconnect, to reignite, and to reawaken the passion that you have put in us. It's in Jesus' precious and passionate name that I pray. Amen. Amen.